Today I want to share with you a story from the Bible where the author tells this story about a man doesn't give a ton of details. He's not worried about answering all the questions, but in fact, the story will raise more questions than answer. But in the midst of the oddity of this story, I believe that there's an encounter with, that God wants us to have from the lesson learned from Jacob. God actually uses limp learning from Jacob to get Jacob into the will of God. And it's a wrestling match for Jacob. It takes place in Genesis. It comes from his life. And you might remember that God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this is a big deal. Jacob's a big deal, folks. And so his name change, which we'll learn about later, really led to a whole nation being called the children of Israel. Now Jacob was a twin, and in his early years he wasn't the greatest guy. He was a schemer trying to get ahead by taking things that were not his. And it started early, real early, in fact, when his mama was giving birth to his older twin brother Esau. The Bible says that Jacob was grabbing Esau's heel as they were coming out of the womb. Jacob wanted to be first, and that's not normal for a baby to do that. Ancient people often gave their kids names that had meaning. And the name that Jacob was given was Jacob, meaning grabber or deceiver, or one might say schemer. Wow, what a meaning behind a name. Remember in that culture, the firstborn got the lion's share of the father's estate. So Jacob did not want to be secondborn right out of the womb. And Jacob never was settled for being second. And let me tell you, he could sell. He took advantage of Esau's hunger and talked him uh, out of giving up his firstborn birthright. Like from, get this, from a bowl of soup. (laughs) Are you kidding me? I've had some good soup, but I'm not going to give up my birthright for a bowl of soup. Later, he tricks his own father, Isaac, into giving him a blessing that was meant for Esau. He dressed up as Esau had the the fur and the smell, and and Isaac ended up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Esau finally had enough and decided to kill Jacob, this schemer. Kids, no matter how mad you are with your brother or sister, please don't make plans to kill them, okay? And parents, if you think that your family is dysfunctional, just read this story from the Bible and you'll feel a lot more normal. So Jacob runs away from Esau, and he runs to his uncle Laban. And that's not, and it wasn't, he didn't stay, he didn't stay just a few short days. He stayed for 20 years. Make a long story short, Jacob marries two wives who are both his cousins, Laban's daughters. That's a whole nother sermon, but kids, don't do everything that Jacob did. In his time, Uncle Laban's household Jacob and Laban just just routinely got to scheming against each other, one trying to get the upper hand on one on the other. And eventually Jacob gets fed up with this scheming. And he takes his family and all his wealth and he leaves. 
And this was no small thing because Jacob had accumulated a lot of animals and servants. And his journey was a wild one because he didn't tell Laban that he was leaving. So Laban tracked down Jacob and confronted them, confronted him. And eventually they got things worked out and they made a covenant not to harm each other. Then a bunch of angels met Jacob and the Bible doesn't even say why. But it's an affirmation that God is with Jacob, that God is working within Jacob. And Jacob, yes, he's done some dumb stuff. And he's had his fair share of scheming and deceiving. But God is faithful to the covenant he made with, with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And God is blessing Jacob the way he promised. But then a promise or a problem arises. Jacob is going to travel through an area where his brother Esau lives. And like Jacob, Esau has built up magnificent success in building up his family, his wealth, his animals. And so you might remember the last time that they had the encounter that Esau was planning to kill Jacob. And now he's got a lot of people. He's got a lot of power. And it's a very scary situation for Jacob. Will war break out between Jacob's people and Esau's people? Will Esau finally get revenge? Jacob is scared, and he's scared for a very good reason. So Jacob sends out a delegation to Esau to make peace. Let's begin to look at the scriptures. Genesis 32, 6 through 8. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We have met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Folks, this is not good. You want to make peace with your brother, you don't need 400 men to watch you hug it out, okay? <laughs> Verse 7, Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with his flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group will escape. So he plans and he's praying. He's fervently praying that he'll be spared. And he divides his, his, uh, all of what he has. And next, Jacob puts together a little gift for Esau to smooth out the relationship. He selects 550 animals and sends them out ahead to Esau so that Esau will see that gift from Jacob. Jacob's terrified. He's doing everything to save himself. And his family. Then Jacob prepares to spend the night in his camp, but he doesn't sleep well. It says during the night, Jacob got up, took two of his wives, his two, ser his two servant wives, his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. It seems the rest of his animals, his servants, and his property had already crossed. So just he and his immediate family are left. And there's two strange things about this passage. Why did they cross the river at night? Why did Jacob cross back over once the family had crossed? It seems pretty irrational. But I think he was just so stressed out about what his brother was going to do to him. And he wasn't thinking straight. And in his, his, his just sleepfulness, he, he decided to just press on and become a, to a place where he was alone. Verse 24 through 31. 
This left Jacob alone in the camp. A man came and wrestled with him until the break of dawn. You know, it's too dark to see who this guy is. Maybe there was just a campfire. But we know that Jacob wrestles all night. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. And then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and was limping because of the injury to his hip. This is crazy. Jacob literally wrestles with God for all night. And then he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. This is a real encounter. This is not just a a metaphor for wrestling in prayer. Or a dream about wrestling with God. This whole thing is very mysterious. Well, there's a lot of encounters that we have with God that are mysterious, aren't they? Especially God's purpose and plan and will in our lives. God is supernatural and can do mysterious and work in mysterious ways in our lives. So it's dark outside. This man approaches Jacob. We don't know who it is. But it says it's a man. But it also says that he wrestled with God. Some commentators think it's an angel. Regardless, Jacob is really, really nervous. And he was threatened. And this fight was picked. And they wrestled for a long time until the sun starts to rise. Verse 25 is very strange. It says the man saw that he could not win. So by Jacob's human strength, he was able to to, uh, contend with this man. But then this man supernaturally popped Jacob's hip out of place and gave him a, for the rest of his life, injury. You know, that's a great wrestling move, man. If you had that power just to touch somebody's hip, that's a good WWE. Forget the chairs. Forget the tables. (laughs) Just pop somebody with a finger. Daylight is coming. And the man demands to be released. Why? We're not sure. Most likely, he wanted to keep Jacob from fully seeing his identity. Regardless, Jacob says something that's pretty profound. He refuses to let him go until this man blesses him. Throughout his life, Jacob has always been determined to be blessed, whether he deserves it or not. He's still a schemer. When the opponent asks Jacob for his name, that comes to a place of pain for Jacob because remember what Jacob's name meant? Schemer, deceiver, grabber. Every time he said it, he was confessing his, uh, the number one thing that he was uh, known for. But this wrestling partner blesses Jacob and gives him a new name, the name of a country, Israel. What a blessing! He's redefining Jacob's identity. This man is revealing 
uh, his own identity, and he's redefining Jacob's identity. That Jacob, you've been this schemer, but that's not what you are anymore. You, sir, are one who has wrestled with God. You held your own, and now you're blessed with a new name. You are now a force to be reckoned with. A new name is a prophetic word in meeting, with his meeting before Esau. If Jacob can hold his own against God, he certainly can hold his own against Esau. And it probably gave him a new reality and sent him into a transformational existence. It's also a prophetic word that will define God's people from then on. You'll be named Israel. God will fight on their behalf too. But for Jacob, this blessing doesn't come without a cost. Many scholars do think, like I said, that he limped for the rest of his life. Later references Jacob to describe him as a man who always leaned on his staff, perhaps because of this wrestling injury. This is a reminder that God ultimately is a lot more powerful than Jacob. And this scar, this limp, will always remind Jacob that he is not self-sufficient, that he does not walk apart from God, and he can no longer strive with arrogance, but must enter into a place of humility with God. This is, an, this is an injury that is a visible reminder to all who will see Jacob as a man who finally submitted to the will of God. You know, my friends, sometimes it takes a wrestling match with God just to show us how much we need Him. In my head, I know that I need God, but my actions often look like I don't need God. We might, in our self-talk, call ourselves a schemer. We say a quick, quick prayer, and then we go and do what we want to do anyway. We want a blessing, whether it's mine or not. We want things our way. And that's not dependency on God. That's dependency on me-ism. It's pride, it's arrogance, and it's the opposite of what God wants from us, my friends. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have now this, this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And it makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Our power is from God. We're the fragile containers that He chooses to work through. But when I continue to walk in my pride, I may find myself walking with a limp. This may be a way of God humbling me, or it may be just the natural causes of my sin. My friends, we all walk with limps. Some are just more obvious than others. Think about your limp. Think about your insistence upon your way. Think about what Brad learned through his suffering, his strokes. Maybe your tarnished reputation warns you against letting your anger get the best of you. Maybe that court date warns you against uh, uncontrolled road rage or something like that. Maybe your marriage issues warn against selfishness or unforgiveness or unfaithfulness. Maybe your addiction warns you against messing around with substances. And maybe, just maybe, your messed up life, your messed up life is a result of just your own scheming and your own self-will and arrogance and stubbornness. Do any of these sound familiar? 
Maybe you have some more of your own to add. Hear me, I'm not trying to pick on you or shame you. We all have scars. We all have those limps. The question is, what do we do with our scars? Well, first of all, I think we thank God. Do you realize that life would be so much uh, would be so much worse if you were the way you used to be. Thank God for that limp. It helps the dependency upon Him. Next, I believe you forgive yourself. Do you beat yourself up forever? Or do you accept God and the fact that you are 100% forgiven in His grace and He gives you the power to move forward in His strength? And then lastly... Sharing your story, just like what we see with Jacob and with Brad. Do you watch for opportunities to share your testimony of God's grace and strength and forgiveness in your life and sharing about your limp? No matter your limp, God loves you fully, my friend. He will complete His work in you, just like He completed His work in Jacob. And Jacob isn't walking around with a limp. He's been healed and restored in heaven. And one more thing. I want to I speak to those of you who are directly in the middle of a wrestling match with God. A fight right now with God. Maybe you're tempted to give up or go your own way. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're scared of how your life will change if you do follow God's will. Friend, don't stop holding on to God even though it seems easier to let go. Don't stop holding on. I know what it's like to be in the fight, to say to God, I want this bad enough. I'm sick of pretending. I'm sick of scheming. I'm sick of dreaming. I'm sick of trying to do it my own way. Don't quit. Don't tap out. Don't quit pursuing God and saying to him, I won't let you go until you bless me. And he desires to bless you with his righteousness, with his strength, and with his power. Think about how Jacob and Esau made up. When, Jacob, when Esau was coming at Jacob, Jacob bowed to the ground constantly before he was face to face with Esau. He humbled himself. He was limping. Maybe we need to say, God, I need you. I need your blessing. I need your anointing. I need your calling. I won't let go of you. Humble me. I'm not holding on to my schemes anymore. I'm not holding on to my status. I'm not holding on to my sin. I'm holding on to the one who saves me, and that is Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for working in our lives. No negative things may happen to us on the human journey, God. You teach us through them to help us depend upon you and your will and your strength and your power and your might. You fight for us. You show us so many ways in which we can experience the enrichment through your Holy Spirit and through the, the things that happen to us that we don't quite understand. God, whatever it is, whatever our limp may be, Teach us through it. May we see your love that fully defines our identity. Complete your work in, you, in us, just as you completed your work in Jacob. 
God, we know that you go before us and you uh, put a testimony in our mouths so that others can find transformation through your grace from us. God, may we surrender to you and your will and give you our lives completely. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.